The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Moore, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmoore.com. Well, I woke up clammy, drenched in sweat, and with a throbbing arm. There were nurses all around me that were tending to me. Uh, It took me only a few seconds to realize what was going on. I was giving blood, and I, I passed out. I had given the nurse sufficient warning that this was going to happen, and so both her and I were working in tandem together to make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen. She lowered uh, the, uh, the cot down, so I was laying, and she was desperately trying as fast as she could to get the needle out of my arm before I passed out, but she just wasn't quick enough. Uh, these things, um, there are certain things that happen when you go into uh, and what they call a, um, what is it, a syncopatic episode where you, you pass out. And, and uh, one of those things that can happen is that your body can tense up and it resembles a seizure. It's not a seizure, but it can resemble a seizure that your muscles just get, get really tight. And so what happened before, uh, as I was passing out and she was trying to get the needle in and she was too late, is that my whole body tensed up. And you know what happened? My arms tensed up. And that needle bent inside my arm. And so as I was out, she had to peel it down and she had to strap it down and pull the thing out. My arm was bruised and hurting for months after that episode. But the thing is, this wasn't the first time that I had passed out giving blood. It was more like the fourth or fifth time that I either did go out or I was very close. And as far as I know, it doesn't come from a sense of anxiety because quite honestly, I am pretty calm going into giving blood. Obviously, the more that this sort of happens, the more anxiety, you know, kind of builds up because is this going to happen or is it going to happen? And you try to try to stop it, but it is just what it is. And you might be asking yourself, Mike, if this kind of thing happens time and time and time again, why do you keep giving blood? And the answer to that question is, I don't anymore. I don't do it anymore because it's just too hard on, on my body, on my psyche, on the nurses who have to tend to all of their other patients who are doing just fine. And just to go to the weirdo that can't pop a bl- pint of blood out for just a few minutes. Um, and it really, really, really bothers me that I can't. Because I have O negative blood. And if you know anything about donating blood, O negative is universal donor. So you can give to anybody that has need. I can only take O negative, but I, I can give my blood to anyone. So if anyone is in need after church today, we can hook each other up and I will get you going. Um, and so there's this persistent sense of guilt that I have that something that I have could be of huge benefit to someone else and I'm just not able to. Uh, I just can't do it anymore. And when it comes to the cause of Christ, how many of us approach giving of our personal resources? 
in the same way that I now look at giving blood. Maybe you look at it as something really good to do and something maybe that you should do, but you can only do it when, uh, the, when it doesn't harm you financially or at least a fr- infringe upon uh, certain areas of your life. How many lo- people, um, how many of us look at the personal resources that we have that could be a huge benefit to someone else in the kingdom and not just ourselves? Today we're going to be looking at uh, the idea of giving as a value that we hold dear as a manual. Uh, Usually when I'm doing a sermon on giving, I usually tackle the big three, the giving of our time, talents, and treasures. And, uh, and, and, And actually I was looking back on my sermon calendar. In five and a half years of being the senior pastor here, I've only talked about giving in a, in a message uh, one other time. So it's very, very rare that I, that I bring a message on this. But today, uh, we are going to focus primarily on the one subject that nobody likes to talk about, especially in the time of a potential recession, and that is giving to the church monetarily. And so there's no doubt that uh, we are in um, difficult economic times. According to the labor department, we're at the highest rate of inflation since 1981. That was the year that I was born. And so people of my generation and a few uh, generations, even a few years before, and everyone after 1981 has never known or experienced how to handle financially going through a recession. So for a lot of us, and really the largest generation, which is the millennial generation, has never had to face this sort of thing before. Uh, And uh, uh, it is a doozy right now, and most economists think that there's no sign of slowing down. Um, For every one of us, you probably got the notice from the city saying that utilities are going to be going up quite significantly. And uh, most of you probably got, if you live in the city, you probably got your your tax uh, estimation back. And uh, the city of Mora is uh, bumping things up quite significantly. So there is a pinch all around. I totally get it. For the church with the new utilities, it rates to uh, an, uh, at least uh, 100 bucks more a month for our utilities. Everyone is feeling the pinch. So how are we to think about giving financially to the church in such a time as this? Well, 2 Corinthians chapters uh, 8 and 9, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us some helpful, uh, some helpful principles for us to consider Uh, when thinking about giving financially to the church. And the first is, is that we ought to first and foremost give ourselves to God. We must first and foremost give ourselves to God. Corinth, at Paul's time, was incredibly wealthy. It sat on this wonderful uh, strip of land that had two ports that were connected to it. So there was great commerce that was going on, a lot of trade, and because the city of Corinth was very wealthy, that meant many members of the Church of Christ were, was also, uh, were also very wealthy. And in fact, we have enough resources to know that the church had met uh, generally in people's homes that were quite large homes. It had space that could hold a lot of people. This was a church that was heavily resourced and it was very gifted as a church and they would be what we would consider the trendy church. 
They are the kind of church that would have had all the bells and whistles. They would have had the latest technology. They would have had uh, the most comfortable seats in the auditorium that looked like a, a stadium. They, they probably would have been the church that had the bookstore and the coffee house that was right off the narthex. And uh, they had the most polished worship team and the most eloquent of speakers. And these types of churches seem like they have it all. And Corinth was just that way. But we shouldn't always equate big and flashy with faithful. And sometimes having it all is actually a detriment to the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8, uh, it recognizes that the Corinthians have gotten themselves into a place in which they looked at their resources inwardly. The members of their church, many of them, were wealthy, but very stingy. So in verses 1 through 5, Paul invites them to see that uh, generosity, the sharing of their resources, first and foremost is an indication of their posture towards God. Before we can even think about giving anything, we must first consider how we are giving ourselves to the Lord. And he does this by giving them an example of the churches in the Macedonian region. These churches would have been the churches of Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, and Berea. So look at what Paul writes starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the, the grace of God that Paul is referring to here is the gospel. And the gospel is, is uh, a word that we throw around quite a bit here at Emmanuel. And if you're, if you're not familiar with that term, it literally means good news. And so when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about what Jesus Christ has done for us in his person and work, in his sinless life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the day to come and take his throne here on earth. It is this gospel that frees us from our sin. It is the gospel that frees us from the shame that comes with our sin. It is this gospel that frees us from the tyranny that sin has over us. It is this gospel that uh, frees us from the burden of worrying whether or not we are good enough from God. It is this gospel that allows us to live freely in the way that we were created to live in lives of worship and thanksgiving of the God who not only created us, but also redeemed us in Jesus Christ. And so it is this grace then that is given to the folks at Macedonia. And it changed their lives. Everything about their lives was different. And it has for many of us who are sitting in this room too. And notice that because they had experienced this life-changing grace, nothing can get in their way of living lives that glorify Jesus. In verse 2, Paul says that they were severely afflicted. This is probably referring to persecution that they were receiving, whether it be from the state, which at that point was not intense yet, but certainly socially, that them being Christians would have been ostracized socially uh, around the town. They would have been looked at weird. 
And in verse 2, he mentions that they were extremely poor. And this was something that was different than the affliction of persecution. You see, uh, depression would have been a better term for what they were going through. In Macedonia, there were gold mines that had made the area very, very wealthy. But soon enough, those gold mines ended up drying up. Barbarians came in to invade. Wars ensued. The uh, Roman Empire comes in, and they restructure the province. And any time any of those happen, it's going to affect the economy. And so uh, here in the midst of persecution and economic depression, Paul says that these churches were abundantly joyful because of the gospel of Jesus. And in response, they were incredibly generous. And it goes deeper than that. Look again at verse 3. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Excuse me a second. So did you catch that? Paul has firsthand knowledge that the churches in Macedonia were dirt poor, they were persecuted, yet they were giving extravagantly and eagerly, so much so that they begged Paul to be part of what God was doing in this way and to participate in helping with the needs of other people. Many of us need to be asked to do something whether it's financially or whether it's ministry related or whatever it is. And even after we are asked, we want to find excuses by which we can get out of it. If we can just find one reason to say no, then we will. But here at this church, they're begging. Now, verses 4 through 5, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints And not just as we had hoped, instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So in other words, they can look back and see who they were without God. They can look back and they can remember what their life was like before they encountered the gospel, his grace and How he gave them all of himself in Christ, and in response, they thought it best to give all of themselves back to the Lord. Their lives would no longer be marked by pleasure-seeking, self-centered hedonism, but rather, they would be marked by giving themselves, even their very lives, for the cause of Christ in grateful praise to the one who loved them and gave himself for them. Paul understood this in Galatians chapter 2 when he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, we ought to be generous people. But if we get the order wrong then we get everything else wrong. We give because he first gave. To mix up that order is to misunderstand 
uh, to misunderstand God's grace. We'll see his grace as transactional. That if we give this, then God owes us this. A quid pro quo, if you, uh, if you will. That we give in order to get in return. But that's not how it works. God already owns everything. Everything is his. God, therefore, is the first giver. The giver of all things. He wants our hearts in return. So before we do anything else, we must make sure that our hearts are given to God. And it's only then that we can understand the joy of generosity to the churches and that the churches in Macedonia enjoyed. Again, in verse 2, During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Give yourself first to God. And second, give out of a response to God. Give out of a response to God. If I wanted to have you do something for me, how motivated would you be if I were to go up to you and say, you have to do this. Do it now or else. You better do this. Well, probably the only thing that you would be motivated to do at that point would be to spite me, right? You're going to find some sort of way to stick it to me if I come at you with a heart like that. But yet I have known a good number of people who believe that this is God's posture towards us in the area of giving. They, for whatever reason, and there are good reasons, see giving, the, giving to the church as nothing but a fundraising scam. They've seen too many televangelists. They've been to too many things. And yes, there are some churches and there are some ministries that, um, that certainly uh, have some issues with that. But for the vast majority of churches, there is integrity in how these things go about. Here at Emmanuel, we have many checks and balances to ensure integrity. Also, confidentiality is something that we value too. Dave and I, we have absolutely no clue how much anybody gives. There's only about two people here that know who gives what because they record it. And the reason why Dave and I do not have access to this is in order to protect us from how we respond and interact with with you and it also protects you in order to freely feel like you can give without knowing uh with knowing that no one's watching over your shoulder so it's a win-win there's integrity that's going on here and um if you are a member and you have any questions about finances you are welcome to go to the office and ask for a printout of how things are being spent how things are coming in. Every spring, we, we uh, print out our annual report, which shows our expenditures and shows our proposed budget. Uh, we just want to ensure transparency in everything, that there is integrity, financial integrity in what we do. And with that, we don't push giving on anyone. We expect that you will, but we certainly are not going to pressure you to give anything. This is one of the good things that came out of the pandemic. We used to pass the plate around from row to row. We don't do that anymore. We have a giving box. For one, we see that's how it sort of was done in Jesus' time. But also, if the plate passes and you see that Johnny down the row threw in a $100 bill and you only have 50 cents on you, 
We don't want you to feel that pressure to give as someone else has given. And so uh, no one here should give out of obligation, but only in response to the grace of God. And this principle is found in chapter 8, verses 7 and following. Remember that this is a wealthy church. They're financially uh, gifted, and they're also spiritually gifted. And Paul uses that to further his argument on how we should be motivated. He says, Now as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. Now the grace here that he's talking about is different than the grace of the gospel. This is the grace that, that he is asking them to give um, to undeserved people that they don't know and to give it towards something uh, that they will get nothing back for it. And as the Corinthian church excels in so much, they ought to also excel in their generosity. Look at uh, verse 8 and following. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by the means of diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving advice, because it's profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also want to do it, and also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he has not. So, in, in other words, Paul here is trying to guard the hearts of those uh, people in the Corinthian church from becoming embittered against the brothers and sisters in other, place, uh, in other places. The language points to the fact that a lot of people in the church had pledged or promised to give a certain amount of, of money towards the relief efforts of poor uh, church members in Jerusalem. Uh, but their attitude and their desire somehow over the past year had changed. Uh, Paul wants them to go through with their vow, not because they have to, but because they want to. And what is it that he uses to motivate them? Uh, the gospel. Look in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So the gospel, in giving finances or giving our lives or giving our uh, whatever it is in life, must be, uh, the gospel must be the motivation for whatever it is that you do. He gave up heaven for you. He gave up his life for you. We don't give out of obligation. We give because Jesus is awesome. And I don't mean that in a light way. But Jesus went to bat for us in ways that we could never even imagine. So therefore, Paul can tell us then in chapter 9, in verses 6 through 8, when he says, the point of, this is the point, 
The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel, there's that word again, in every good work. So when it comes to giving of our treasures, we must first give ourselves to God, and then we look to Christ and respond in generosity. And finally, third, we need to give for the glory of God. Give for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul is considered the greatest missionary that ever lived. But he was rarely alone. Uh, even if he spent time in prison, he was either with somebody behind bars or he was in a situation where people could come and, and visit him quite frequently. And through the span of his letters, it actually seems that he traveled with a really tight-knit group of friends. And it's this cohort, this cohort that he uses to provide the example to motivate the Corinthians to give generously. Uh, look in verse 16 through 19. Thanks be to God who put the same concern for you in the heart of Titus. It's the same Titus that the letter is written to in the Bible. For he welcomed our appeal... And being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. Again, there's no compulsion here. It is his free will to do this. And um, verse 18. We have sent him with the brother who was praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. What's funny here is that we have no idea who this guy is. He is completely nameless. Evidently, he was so famous that the Corinthian church knew exactly who this guy was. Titus was coming with him. Um, we don't know who he is, and I think that's a great point of gospel ministry, is that it's not about us. It is always about Jesus. Now, this might sound morbid, but I am very resolved and happy to do what I can do for Jesus right now while I still have life and breath in, my, uh, in myself, but I am equally content when that time comes to die in obscurity and get out of the way and be forgotten in a couple generations. If I can do what I can do now and be completely forgotten about and Jesus is remembered for generations, I've done my job. I have no problem with that. And so here, whoever this brother is, I like him. We don't have a clue who he is. So here in, in these two from Paul's cohort, they are meant to be examples of eagerness. And again, Paul provides some motivation here in verse 19. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we're administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. So it's one thing here that the churches in Macedonia were eager to help, based on their response of the, the grace of God, uh, but it's an altogether different thing when Paul says, look at how we're doing it. I mean, you've seen the Macedonian churches. I mean, look at us. We are doing the exact same thing. We are walking the walk and, uh, and walking the talk. And yes, it is in response to the gospel, but even more so, it is for the glory of the Lord. 
Another way to think about uh, that term for the glory of the Lord, because that is another um, phrase that we throw around without explaining very often, but what we say and what we mean when we say for the glory of the Lord, it is in order to make Jesus famous. It's in order to make Jesus look really good in a world that wants nothing to do with him. And so uh, that would have made meant a lot to the Corinthian church because if you remember back in 1 Corinthians in the early parts of that letter, Paul is trying to deal with the fact that the Corinthians are stuck in worshiping the cult of celebrity pastors. They're more concerned with who their pastor was, who they came to faith under, than they are of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the fact that Paul, Titus, and whoever this Billy Graham figure was, uh, that they were offering themselves for the glory of the Lord, that can be a powerful witness and influence on a church who looks up to them as celebrity pastors. And Paul is very concerned how this might look in their particular context. Remember that they are a wealthy church, and the Jerusalem brothers and sisters were beyond poor so to glorify him, uh, glorify God in the Corinthian church, look at verse 13. Paul says, It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. He's not talking about some sort of weird Christian communism here in which the, the top-level church forces them to give money so that everybody can live in equality. No, this is all voluntary that the churches want uh, other people, to, other brothers and sisters to have the needs that they need. And the Corinthian church now has the opportunity to display the grace of God out of their abundance. Interest, interestingly, he relates it to the exodus when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were wandering through the wilderness, they were lost and they were hungry and thirsty and they were so, uh, so much so that they were wondering if they were going to starve to death out in the wilderness. And what did God do? Well, he opened up the heavens and he provided manna, which were like frosted flakes that they could make bread out of. And he provided quail by which he could... Uh, they could have some protein in order to stay strong. In that instance, God was glorified by meeting the desperate needs of his people who were hungry. And so in the same way, in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians uh, 8, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. He is saying that the Corinthian church has have the opportunity to provide for brothers and sisters in the same exact way that God provided manna and quail in the wilderness to God's people. What a privilege that is, that we can join God in that sort of way. Friends, we are partners in the grace of God. We are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have the unique opportunity to bless others and make a difference in the community through generosity. And far beyond blessing and making a difference in people's lives, we have the opportunity to make Jesus look good. We have the opportunity to glorify him, when we are giving out of ourselves and when we're giving out of uh, our resources, we are saying to the world, Jesus is better than my stuff. 
Jesus is better than, than life it, itself. I want him to get the glory. So first we need to give ourselves uh, to the Lord, and then we need to give out of a response to the gospel, and then finally we need to give in order to give God, excuse me, God glory. You know, I have a deep desire to donate blood. I wish that I could. Um, however, I've been given this response that makes it not a very pleasant experience for anybody that's involved, me or uh, the staff or, or people looking on, so I don't give, and I hate that. But as brothers and sisters of Christ, let it never be said that we don't give. When we gaze into the beauty of what Jesus has done for us through the gospel and continues to do, let it never be said of us that we wish that we could give, but for whatever reason we can't. Friends, in the gospel, we have, given, we have been given spiritual O-negative blood. We are universal donors giving the gospel to a lost and hurting generation so that whatever and whenever we give it, it would be to God's glory, it would be to our good and the good of those recipients who are taking it from us. Friends, we have an opportunity to give the gospel to others. So consider generosity. Let's pray.